Uh, so I'm here today with Erie County District Attorney Jack Denary. Uh, he was first appointed to the office in 2009 following the death of District Attorney Brad Folk, and he's just won his uh, re-election to his third term in office. Um, so we thought we would just catch up and hear some reflections on these 10 years you, you've spent in office. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to just start sort of back at the beginning and ask when you were first uh, appointed, um, what did you expect the job would entail, and how was it different or the same from what you expected? Well, um, I think, you know, I, I had kind of been a, um, a critic of Brad's to his face, not behind his back, but I used to... Which I used is appropriate. To, <laughs> I used to criticize him because he would constantly be out of the office and he'd be at events or he'd be, he said he'd have to go to a meeting to talk to someone who was not a police officer, it was maybe a, a business leader or something. And I used to say, Brad, what the heck are you doing out of the office? We, our job is to fight crime, go in the courtroom, get convictions, um, and, you know, you know let's, we should focus on that. And, um, and obviously, um, he didn't listen because he kept uh, his, um, his business out in the public. He kept, he kept doing what he was doing, and, and that's why he had the reputation as a community leader that he had when he passed away. And uh, that left me with very big shoes to fill. And, but nevertheless, I still thought that it was going to be about uh, running the office primarily, and running the office meant um, putting cases into court, evaluating cases, getting convictions, and doing justice. I mean, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, however, it 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 became apparent fairly quickly as uh, requests came in regularly for me to attend one event or another or speak at one event or another on behalf of my office and it wasn't necessarily about crime and punishment it was about the, the district attorney's role in a particular social or community issue uh, or the district attorney's policy on uh, again uh, so matters that didn't seem relevant to a prosecutor talking to a jury um, and so I, I did realize I'm like geez this is so much more mm -hmm. than I had uh, thought when I was criticizing my boss. And so I looked over his photo in my office, which is still there, and I apologized to him. And then, you know, kind of went about the, the business of doing what, what the job really entails, which is, yes, managing an office. Yes, making sure that uh, the way your attorneys, detectives, and support staff do their work is appropriate and uh, would be judged favorably by the public that pays us. Um, but at the same time, it was also about getting out in the community and uh, being one-on-one -on -one with people for more a more uh, personal or immediate judgment of the district attorney. And by virtue of judging me, you're judging my office. Um, I was thinking back on, on the time that you've been in office, and I, I covered courts for part of that. I, mm -hmm. I'm the editorial writer now, but um, it did strike me when you think about Brad's tenure, it was cold cases and developing mechanisms to investigate child abuse and stuff like that. And your tenure's been marked by some big challenges that I don't think were on the horizon then. And I'm thinking of the <clears throat> retaliatory gun violence and also the opioid crisis. Can you just, like, walk me through 
how you approach those situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's um, right. You're never, you just never know what is behind the, the corner as you're going down the street. And, um, you know, it can be a particular kind of crime, as you just mentioned, with child abuse and the, the need for a ch children's advocacy center that Brad created. Uh, who would have thought 30 years ago that we, we needed something like that or it would be beneficial? In fact, some communities still don't have them. Uh, so Erie's very fortunate uh, that Brad saw fit to do that. Um, so yes, the, I think the, the increase in gun violence and uh, the gang violence uh, that, that our data shows the uh, young individuals with guns in gangs, the proliferation of that mentality, um, and how to go about uh, fighting it differently, uh, more effect efficiently and effectively. And then certainly, yes, the opioid epidemic and um, I guess the, the power that that had to turn many people's heads, uh, not just in law enforcement, but throughout the community, but coming back to law enforcement and the obligation, the duty, that our office had to um, certainly treat overdose deaths differently, uh, which is to treat them as homicide scenes, do investigations, um, uh, photographs, interviews, and uh, cell phone dumpings where you're getting the data off individual cell phones and things like that to actually do those investigations. So. Uh, yeah, crime, uh, violence, gun violence, and uh, drug addiction uh, certainly uh, seem, at least in the last few years, to have taken a lot of um, a lot of resources in our office. And you were pretty instrumental in a key strategy to address that gun violence with Unified Erie. And I don't know if I want to kind of tie this into another question, which is you mentioned about your job is to do justice, but Unified Erie does some some interesting take some interesting approaches it's not just a strict law and order it's a inviting in and giving resources and that sort of thing with the call-ins I mean right. can you talk to me about how you got to that spot well I think uh, certainly so much credit goes to uh, then U.S. Attorney Assistant U.S. Attorney now common pleas Judge Marshall Piccinini um, and his leadership and bringing myself uh, to the table as well as the chief of police um, with some input from the mayor as well, but primarily us sitting down at the table and a number of seats continuing to grow at that table at that time, this is nine years ago, where just that, what I had mentioned a little while ago about uh, seeing a trend in crime and not using the same tools uh, to fight it, or I take that back, using many of the same tools, not using them in the same way. Right. Uh, and so this three-prong approach to uh, combat uh, gun and gang violence, uh, the notion of uh, enforcement, prevention, and re-entry. And enforcement, that would be done differently. But this, the other two legs of the stool, the prevention piece and the re-entry piece, um, I think often get overlooked, and I always say the reentry piece is the most important, but certainly prevention as well plays a key role. And yes, it was, uh, I, I say to individuals and groups that I speak to about this, that if you would have said that the district attorney in the county is uh, on the front lines of giving 
uh, felons, second chances, violent felons, mm -hmm. second chances, looking into the faces of, of individuals whom we know are committing crimes in our community and saying, you better stop or else, because that's how some people characterize it. But yep. um, uh, yeah, I, I probably would have laughed that off too. But uh, I think, you know, being a leader is uh, also not being rigid. It's, it's understanding, you know, what the playing field looks like ahead and, you know, how to, how to play it. And I think that that was very important for Marshall to have assembled the group of people he did and for all of us to sit around that table and actually be willing um, to embrace that change in law enforcement. Um, law enforcement particularly, the enforcement prong, uh, yeah, looks much differently. Uh, the conversations that take place now are much different than they were 10 years ago when I first took office. And were there people, I'm thinking of people like Brother D, who you encountered who kind of gave you a different insight or window into maybe the case files that were coming across your desk and the individuals involved in them? Certainly, yeah, Daryl Craig and, and a number of other individuals, uh, I think two are the pillars of the change that has taken place of, of the pulling back of the curtain um, that had previously been closed on some people and you pull back the curtain and, and actually um, getting a better look at some of the individuals that we wouldn't have given that second look to. Um, so the, the, we call them the community voices. The people in the community who know these individuals, um, know their family, uh, have a lot to say. Isn't it worth listening to them and gaining some insight uh, off of uh, them or from them as opposed to simply reading the docket sheet on some of these individuals? So what uh, Brother D and many others uh, that then followed uh, and joined in brought to the table, I think, was that, that really was a tremendous uh, asset to us. What do you think the sort of lasting legacy or consequences of building those relationships will be? What has that done for the city and, and, and criminal justice? Well, that's a... I could probably go on for an hour on... on <clears throat> What I think that um, Unified Erie and uh, the mayor, the current mayor, um, and the willingness of law enforcement um, to step out of its typical role and in now literally into the neighborhoods um, in an open arm uh, fashion, what that will do, because um, I'm confident that it, it is going to, to change the conversation, change the dynamic, um, much more than it has done so far. I'm just confident that that it will, um, those individuals who, who built this um, deserve so much credit because I think what has been done so far has been a great blueprint, foundation, whatever you want to call it, for what's to come. And that really is <clears throat> beyond the feel-good stuff of, of this re-entry that, that people talk about. And I've heard it derisively called uh, hug-a-thug, mm -hmm. you know, from right. some from hardcore law enforcement that call it hug-a-thug. And I, I cringe because it's, um, it's short-sighted uh, to not realize what the opportunity is. Uh, we, we can't just keep filling our prisons. 
not that the prisons that the people in there are in there wrongfully. It's, uh, it's just a question of just who can we bring out and keep out because um, we know we have to keep some people in that are truly not going to be productive and in fact they're going to be a hindrance and a danger to society. That's where they belong. But there are m many that given that opportunity um, to be released, um, to be employed and, and become productive citizens, that's tremendous. And so you take two of those, then you take four of those, and then eight and so on and so on. Um, so what Unified Erie and the reentry program and those community leaders have done to put those um, ex-cons, whatever, transitioning clients, whatever you want to call those individuals, for, to, for them to be on law enforcement's radar is, is a win um, mm -hmm. already. But I think what's to come is, is very positive as well. You talked at the very beginning about, you know, the mission of the office being doing justice. And it sounds like you've got a broader, richer, more nuanced, like, understanding of what that means. Richer. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, um, it's not that I, uh, I believe that myself or the thought that says prosecutors should be prosecuting. I, it's not that I've abandoned those um, that way of thinking that I had in the early 2000s uh, when I was in a, a deputy DA. It's the realization that times have changed. Um, the community uh, can be much better with individuals if there is a very good working relationship between the police and law enforcement as a whole and the community. And so as that improves, and that would include um, bringing those individuals out of jail and working with them, law enforcement working with them, given, sitting down with them, talking with them, as well as the counselors who can side by side bring them to an employer and so on. Like, that is so important. Um, it's not like that it transcends the, the notion of prosecuting and convicting and putting people in jail for crimes they commit. It doesn't transcend that. Right. It really rides alongside of that. So to the extent that I now have a sidecar in my mind, mm -hmm. I think that's a, a good way to put it, is that I, it, it was not a, um, a vision that I saw for myself in the role as DA, but certainly uh, have it now mm -hmm. permanently. Yeah. And, and, and if, if you don't have an example, that's fine. But I just wonder, is there any sort of defendant or candidate for the Collins or anything that you've ever encountered that stand out in your mind that sort of exemplify these lessons for you or, the, or this? Um, no. I, I mean, there, there's, certainly a couple of, um, there's certainly a couple of cases out there uh, and probably the... Um, the biggest success story would be Antonio Howard, um, although never brought to the call-in. He is, he is one of the uh, juvenile lifers who was released. He's still serving his sentence in that he sentences 25 to 50 years, and he did 26 years, and he was paroled after his re-sentencing a few years ago. Um, and he is now um, a paralegal in the federal public defender's office because while he was in jail, um, he acquired a paralegal license, among many other things he did in a positive uh, vein. 
for an individual who did not believe he was ever getting out of jail because he was sentenced to life without parole. And you look at what he's accomplished, and I've had numerous contacts with him uh, within weeks of him being released uh, to the present day, where we run into each other all the time, we have conversations, um, and I can tell he's very grateful for that. And he did, shouldn't be grateful to me. I, I opposed the notion of juvenile lifers being released um, on principle, but in reality, what he's doing in this community is exactly what we would hope for all the participants in the call-in and all the individuals who um, avail themselves of the services that GCAC and the ECRSSA, the Erie County Reentry Services and Support Alliance, which is really reentry. Uh, that's what the goal of that is. So I would say Antonio Howard is someone you would put up there and say, that's what can happen. Um, that's what rehabilitation is about. So 26 years of punishment in jail, absolutely deserved. He'd be the first one to tell you that. He'd be the one to say, I don't deserve necessarily this chance of being out, but you know what? I have it, and I've, I'm going to make the most of it. So he's a shining example of someone who did. Powerful. Um, so we've, we've talked about some of the things that are really have been in the spotlight between the, the, the gun violence and the, the opioid response. Um, are there, are there aspects of the work that your office does that don't make it into the public eye that you would like to highlight, you know? Well, I think, um, you know, I think when I'm out and uh, individuals, you know, slap me on the back, hey, you're doing a great job or something like that, um, I thank them. And I, I usually have the same responses, well, I have a great team. And I think the, um, maybe what's lost on people partly because of how television is and so on, is the, the notion of teamwork uh, between support staff, detectives, and attorneys. And then amongst the attorneys themselves, uh, the teamwork that we have in uh, helping each other out, assisting, bouncing ideas off each other exactly the way it should be. It's not this great intellectual framework that we're all, we all know everything and we march into court and we we win our cases, um, that's, that's far from how it actually works. It's a lot of um, hard work, uh, a lot of mistakes made, um, and... Uh, You're often dealing with younger and inexperienced Well, that, that's, through, where, right? that's where I was going, is that one of the... Um, if one of your questions was going to be, what are the, some of the challenges in the mm -hmm. office? It, it has been that um, with... Uh, more experienced attorneys leaving the office for you know typically better pay that the um, and the starting pay at that time um, until most recently the starting pay being fairly low uh, yeah the the new assistant district attorneys were law clerks or individuals who had never tried one case never did one hearing um, and so the challenge is bringing them up to speed and there's only so many retail thefts and DUI cases that exist. Pretty soon you're into gun felonies, possession with intent to deliver drug felonies, homicides, robberies, rapes. You can't just be, you can't hand a, a, someone right out of law school those types of cases. So what do you do? Well, you put them on the backs of the more experienced attorneys, but they have a lot of... So you can see where the challenge in the office has been uh, for a number of years um, to... to 
do our job as best we can, knowing that most often we have victims that we're, we're serving. We're serving the public, of course, but, but the people who, um, uh, or the, the, I guess the, the receiving end of a defendant uh, work is typically a person. I mean, if it's retail theft, it's Walmart. But if it's a robbery of your home, it's a person. If it's a rape, obviously, an assault, um, those types of things, there's victims that have to be, um, that are part of the equation, um, a big part. And our attorneys have to learn how to deal with them. So it's not just about learning how to be a, a prosecutor in court. It's about learning how, what do you do when a woman, a mother of a, a son who's killed or, or daughter who was assaulted is screaming into the phone at you and wants to come down and talk to your supervisor because you didn't do the right thing or something. So I think some a lot of challenges for these younger attorneys. Um, and, uh, and for me too, um, difficult because when I came to the district attorney's office in 2000, I had I'd been a trial attorney for eight years already. So I, I have to remind myself that these individuals on my staff, and by the way, I think my calculations were I have 15 assistant district attorneys, two-thirds of them, 10 of them, have less than five years' experience. Wow. So two-thirds of the staff doing the work, uh, which is yeoman's work, given the number of cases we have. So I have to remind myself of that. Like, listen, these young men and women, they didn't have eight years. They didn't have 50 trials under their belt by the time they, they became district attorneys. Um, so it, uh, patience sometimes is, oh, yeah. uh, uh, is, is much needed on my part. Well, and, and, and mentioning the delicacy of dealing with victims and victims' families, it, it, terrible things can happen, but what happens when they run through the court system may not always be, you know, it, it might not be possible to get the outcome you want. Correct. Due to the state of the law yeah. or the state of the evidence or all kinds of factors, and you have to be right. able to walk people through that. and that has to be difficult. Yeah, and I think that's, um, and you know, not everyone's built for that, but I, that is, um, when I hire an attorney and we sit down, or really when we interview, uh, uh, first assistant uh, DA Beth Hers and I, when we interview potential uh, ADAs, always, always is mentioned uh, our focus on victims and the communication with victims. They all know that's their role. You mentioned your caseload. About what? What is it? What do you say? Oh, I think um, in adult we have 13 of our 15 assistant DAs um, handle roughly 4,000 cases per year, and then our two juvenile assistant DAs handle, I would say, between 500 and 1,000 cases, maybe. Okay. Um, so it's a pretty decent caseload as uh, stretched across third-class counties. We're right up there, if not higher than a lot of the third-class counties in terms of uh, open files. Crisis point? No. Manageable. No. Okay. You know, I, I, um, I tell this to county council who have been very generous uh, this past budget with uh, raising the uh, salaries of the assistant DAs and the public defenders uh, with good reason. I tell them... Uh, if you look at the pay scale and then look at the number of attorneys in other third-class counties, uh, I think there's one or two third-class counties that have in excess of 25 assistant DAs and handle maybe 
slightly a few hundred more cases than our office does. Mm. So we handle, with 10 less attorneys, we handle about the same number of cases. And um, But I say it, uh, I'm not going to say we need another ADA right now because I, I think we're doing, we can, we can handle it. So no, not at a crisis point. So looking on the horizon, heading into your next term, are there any priorities, programs, initiatives you want to focus on? And also, what what do you see on the horizon in terms of criminal justice? I mean, we seem to be detecting an uptick in meth again. And, you know, are there things like that that you would point to that you're watching well, I think, for? You know, I think um, we just uh, received our, our grant, our gun working group, or uh, gun violence reduction grant from the PCCD, $250,000 for two years, just began mid-October. Uh, in the last five weeks, we've already seized uh, 17 guns, made uh, 12 arrests. Um, so uh, the again, that continuing that focus that started all the way back with the Unified Erie Enforcement Prong, which said, which the, the statistics showed that in any community across this country, a small percentage of the individuals commit a disproportionately large percentage of the crime in that community. Therefore, don't go to a block in the neighborhood and stand there and hope to make an arrest. Mm -hmm. Target the individuals that data shows are the violent ones in your community. So on that philosophy, um, we continue to work uh, in that vein uh, efficiently, um, across agency lines, and again, that collaboration can't be emphasized enough. And so fighting gun violence will continue to be a priority because as soon as you take five off the street, there's six replacing them, and we know that. Um, so unlike some other goals where you can say, we hope to eradicate this, that I really have to honestly say, we're never going to eradicate um, people doing bad things with guns in our community. but we will just keep on uh, doing our best to keep the community safe. So I think gun violence is certainly a priority uh, combating that. And certainly drugs. Um, yeah, now we're back to the swing is back to meth, and it, it's always uh, the economy, mm -hmm. the price of the drug that's going to drive it. So cocaine got too expensive. Uh, the next thing you know, there was uh, fentanyl. Uh, or the oxy pills uh, ground up and snorted and things like that. And now um, from the heroin and, and the um, fentanyl, now it's swinging back to meth much cheaper. Um, so we're just going to keep on combating that. I, I don't, uh, there's no shortage of individuals who uh, will get addicted to drugs. Uh, we will continue to be aggressive in um, prosecuting individuals that sell the drugs to in, to others that overdose. So the drug delivery resulting in death, uh, we have a subdivision in our office, individuals that prosecute those cases. I think, uh, I don't know that there'll be uh, any significant decline in that. Even though we're seeing a drop in deaths, uh, I think uh, the coroner's correct that a lot of that is attributed to the, the use of Narcan mm -hmm. and the saving of the lives, which is great, but uh, yeah, I don't know that we're going to see any decrease in the amount of drugs coming into the community. I think in uh, I think uh, cybercrime is um, an area in which 
my office. I don't know if I'll still be there 10 years from now, but um, I would, I would uh, suggest that the way we deal with cyber crimes is, is going to have to be addressed. In other words, um, beefed up a division within our office. We've done tremendous with our computer forensics um, and having a, a detective, Van Stein, uh, and detective Jennifer Nolan, who uh, really are top-notch in terms of utilizing the latest equipment to uh, access data and access information to help uh, get information to make arrests and uh, fight crime. But I think, like anything else, it's just going to change tremendously in the next five years. So 10 years from now, you know, there are, we might have half a floor dedicated to uh, really? computer forensic cyber crime. Um, because it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's uh, it's going to be pretty prevalent in the area. Uh, and when you say that, I'm thinking of child pornography, uh, and then also what scams. Uh, yeah, at information. What else? Right, um, not just fraud, but uh, identity theft will continue. Um, it'll just keep getting slicker and slicker. And so I think it's right now those cases are complicated mm. enough that uh, the Attorney General's office or U.S. Attorney's office, who I think it, uh, certainly are much better equipped at this time to prosecute those cases, but um, I foresee uh, there being it being so common that uh, local district attorney's offices will be uh, charged with prosecuting mm -hmm. those cases as well. Because it won't be a, a big network of scammers, um, you know, out of uh, Pakistan or somewhere else that are working all this in the United States, it's going to be, you know, some guy in his basement right. um, doing it. And so um, that will fall on the local DAs, I think, to, to gather the evidence um, and move forward. Hmm. I, see the, I see the interaction with uh, marijuana and uh, the law uh, continuing oh, to yeah. evolve. Talk about you know Jello in your hands. I mean that's. Uh, uh, I've talked to so many people in law enforcement, parole. Talked to the uh, people in the growing operations. Um, it's it's fascinating, the interplay between law enforcement and marijuana. Uh, never thought I'd say it, but it is, uh, and it's a, they're great legal questions. Uh, continue to to have different answers, I think, depending where you're at mm -hmm. in the country or, or where you're at philosophically. So uh, I think uh, that's, a, that's an area we're going to see a lot of attention paid. So outside the office, you, you know, you present as a very <coughs> kind of tough button-down prosecutor, but you're also quite the music fan and you spend <laughs> a certain amount of time reading to kids. Yes, yeah. Do you want to tell people a little bit about that? About what the kid oh. part? <laughs> <laughs> that music is often playing oh, in your office. Oh yeah, music always music, and uh, you, you and the Erie Times uh, staff, certain few are, are privy to my Christmas uh, CDs, which cover the theme of the year. Um, that's always fun. But no music. Oh, that's uh, yeah. I love all kinds of music. But the um, yeah, I joined. First book, Erie, which now has morphed into Hooked on Books for Kids. Uh, we read to students at Edison now. We used to read at Wayne. Uh, we read to students at Edison and I think Lincoln. 
the second Friday of every month. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it is something to come out of a meeting uh, and then have to go to Edison School, sit down on the carpet and, and read a book with hmm. kids who are asking you, you know, where you got that tie or, hmm. you know, the que questions that kids ask. So the, those are, yeah, those are uh, some of the, uh, the best parts of the job, surely, are being out in the community um, and uh, feeling like, uh, I don't know, that, you're, that you represent something that someone else feels good about or has faith in or, or has a positive image of. Um, yeah, so. Well, that kind of gets to my last couple questions, which is, are you going to run again, if you know? I'm sorry, I was swallowing water, Lisa. I didn't hear the question. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I just got, <laughs> I haven't even started my, um, my third full term. Um, it's a four-year term, so, you know, I'll be 64 then. I hate to give out the age, but I'll be 64. So, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would do it again. Um, and it wouldn't be because of anything wrong with the job. It would just simply be... Um, you know, time to, time to maybe kick, kick uh, back and and enjoy the rest of my life with my wife. And speaking of your tenure, and I know you're just starting into your third term, but do you have any sense of the either the legacy you're crafting or that you would like to uh, lay claim to at some point? You know, I yeah, it's um, yeah, it's not like a ball player where you can look back and say, here are my stats and. Um, I certainly would never look at the convictions our office had and say, wow, I was a successful district attorney. Um, I think for me, it, it uh, will certainly be that I, I would want people to say, uh, when that guy was the DA, here's, here's what he did. He, uh, he was out in the community. He was a straight shooter. He looked you in the eye. Um, he didn't. He didn't waver. He he stood his ground on some things. He listened. I think an overall package of of um, uh, what I'd like people to say is that uh, he did his job well. He was hardworking. He was and he was fair. And he um, he understood the importance of the office and he, he treated it with respect. Um, I think that would be important for me. For people to believe that I was a good DA, not because of convictions that I got in my career or that my staff got, but I was a good DA because I I created, or I should say, continued um, an image of the office as trustworthy, ethical, hardworking, um, and community-minded uh, and victim-minded, and I think that would be enough for me. That's great. Anything else that I didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up? No, I think... No, I think that was, that was great, Lisa. All right. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank for, you. Thank you for having me. Yeah.